Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Hello and welcome back. This is Jean Cotter. It is with great pride and admiration for her spirit of change that I present my interview with Rhonda Nygaard. Rhonda is a former post-release supervision probationer who has spent approximately 20 years of her life incarcerated in prisons across this country. This is her story. Rhonda, thank you for coming today and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So why don't we just start by, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where do you come from? How did, how did you get to the spot in life where you are today? Okay, well, I'm a farm girl. I was raised on a farm in South Dakota almost my whole life until I turned like 18. And then I branched off and I went and lived in New Mexico with some friends. And that's where this whole saga started, um, the drugs and all that stuff. And at first, you know, it was a recreational thing. Then it becomes I have to have a thing. Then it becomes I will commit crimes to get at things. Um, the first time I went to prison, was, I was 23 years old, facing nine years for racketeering charges when it came to cocaine. Um, then I, four years later, I got another, I got another charge that was also drug related. And the cycle just kept going on and on and on. And then, you know, I began, I moved back to Nebraska and here we go again. I started in with the wrong crowd, and addiction became part of my life again. And, you know, I just uh, didn't think that there was any other way. I mean, I had wanted to go to college straight out of high school, but I only had a GED, so it took longer. So I had no college education. I really didn't have a lot of job skills. And so, to me, that was a way to make money, and that's what caused this whole vicious cycle. Um, like I said, I've been in prison seven times. Um, I've never, ever in life completed anything that had to do with anything that has to do with authority because most addicts don't like authority. You know what I mean? But um, I, uh, I just uh, kept thinking to myself this last time I went, do I want to just die here? I mean, I've seen people die in prison, good people. And I think I thought to myself, or is there a way that I could somehow find a way to turn all this pain into something positive? And I think I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and, and I just thought, there got to be something else for me out there. There has to be. This is not the way I'm going to, to, to leave this world, you know. And so I thought to myself, what more for me to give back than my experience, strength, and hope in addiction to somebody else that's addicted? What better way for me to make a living but also for it to be rewarding? probably not going to make a major amount of money being a counselor, but that's not what I'm in it for. What I'm in it for is I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I want other people to see the same light and to know that the life after is much more better than the life that they're living. And, you know, I might not get through to everybody, but if I can give it through to somebody, that's all that matters. And, you know... I don't care what the horrible things they've done, and I don't care 
how bad it got for them. I still know there's life after this, so I just believe. So you talked about being in prison for seven times. I don't mean to pick any scabs or anything, but how many years have your have you lost from your life to terms of incarceration been, over almost, those seven seven years or almost, seven terms? I mean, almost twenty. Twenty years. Yes, almost twenty years of banging my head against the same brawl, never getting any different, because I couldn't find that just that one I don't know reason or whatever to to want to be different. I mean, I never had anybody support me until this this man in my life and Tony and Stacy. I never thought that that anybody really cared. And, and now that I saw not just them, but a lot of other counselors and a lot of other people who taught me classes, I found that there is a lot of people who care. I mean, you think when you're an addict that nobody cares about you, but that's not true. So, you know, I, I just am not gonna lose another moment to to be, you know, to go to prison, to be incarcerated. I don't want to be locked up anymore. I want I want my freedom. So to have it, I have to respect it. And that means to be law-abiding, to be drug-free, you know what I mean? And so, you know, them 20 years aren't gonna be wasted if I can make a difference from here on in. Sure. Yeah. And, and the Tony and Stacy you talked about are Tony Cannell and Stacy Strohmeyer, who are probation officers for the state of Nebraska. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And tell tell me a little bit about, well, first off, in some of the pre-show setup, you talked about you'd never been on probation before. You've been to prison seven times, but you've never, ever had a chance at probation. Is that right? Right. And so, so tell me, tell us about your probation experience, your post-release supervision experience. For example, when the judge sent you to prison this time and said, oh, by the way, when you get out of prison, we're going to have you serve this type of probation called post-release supervision. What went through your mind? Tell us a little bit about what exactly you were thinking sitting at that at that council table that day when that sentence was pronounced. Actually, the, my first thought was, that's not fair. Why are you punishing me twice? Isn't this double jeopardy? Why can't I just do one or the other? Um, why why do I have to be incarcerated and, and, you know, be on probation? I would have gladly done three years of probation and no prison time. But um, actually, I, I, I got to tell you, I didn't, wasn't as big as fan at first. Um, and then when I heard more about it, and basically when I got out and it was like, you have to take three UAs a week, you have to call in every day, even Sunday, even holidays, um, I want you to take this, this, and this class. I want you to attend two meetings a week, um, and just so on and so forth. I thought, I thought, wow, can I do this? I mean, is this too rigorous for me? Um, is this setting me up to fail? Do they want to? Do they want to see if they can push me to that point, or do they want to, to see if 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 I can stick to one thing? then other things will come easier for me to stick to. And if, if I have if I have somebody in my corner, somebody that that I have to be accountable to, maybe it'll make me so I just don't run rapid again. And that's pretty much what it gave me is accountability. Because I knew what I had to do or I was gonna get that call. And I knew, you know, that that um 
it was going to it was going to be hard. I knew that. I knew it was going to suck at times, but I really believed that it was a, a part of me turning the right way. You know what I mean? And I think that for once, because they just didn't give me a hundred dollars and send me on my way, they said, "Here's your support group. Ask these people for what you want. If you can't ask, then you must not need it." And I mean, and there were times I thought, oh my God, when I, am I really going to make this? I'm so, so tired. I mean, I had to work between all this, do all this. And I thought to myself, God, just show me the way. Just show me why you're doing this. Why this is so important, this step. You know what I mean? And, and, and it just revealed itself in ways day after day. I mean, because I had to be accountable, because I owed somebody something. It made it easier for me to not go back into the same trap because I couldn't. For one, I promised myself I'm never going to be locked up again. I knew if I violated this program, that could happen. And so I thought, you know what? I am going to do this. I am going to set my mind to it. I am going to do it. Even if it's hard, even if it sucks, I'm going to do it because I believe it's it's for a reason. God don't do things if it ain't for a reason. And for once in my life, I let him do the driving, not me. And I mean, I just ask him every day, put on my heart what you think. And speaking and doing like this, little to know, it might help you, but it helps me stay clean every day. You know what I mean? And it helps me share. Because if I push all this luggage down, eventually it's going to come out the wrong way. So I just believe this, this was a blessing. In disguise. You talked a little bit earlier about lessons and you know the old adage of a lesson will be retaught until it's learned. So of that 20 years that you've spent in prison in your life, how, how much of that time was on this last term, this last stretch that you had to do? Um, two years. I had gotten a year incarceration and a year of post-release. Um, okay. I got released early because I had done so good. On post-release, right? Yeah. So that was one of the incentives, I think, that's laid out for probationers up front is that if you do well, if you if you do all of these things that we're asking yeah. of you, which technically are you asking of yourself, uh, that the light at some of the light at the end of the tunnel is you're going to get done early, right? You're going to get done early. That's what I told him when Tony gave me my release papers in class. He, I said, this right here, this is your light at the end of the tunnel. If you if you can do nothing but one thing right, remember this says you're dead. You know what I mean? So just just want it as bad as as you wanted drugs or alcohol or whatever. So. I think that it gave me, it made me real proud of myself to for once finish something, something that was hard, something that I didn't like, you know, something that in, in the past I probably would have bucked against. But I think this, I think if you, if you really have the initiative and you really just wholeheartedly, you know, say, you know, whatever it takes, I'm not going to use. Whatever it takes, whether I have to call somebody at 3 in the morning, whether I have to call these probation officers and tell them, if you don't come and talk to me right now, I think I'm going to use. what Whatever it took, I was going to do. See, I was just willing. I think if you're willing, then you can make it. I think that so many people, they shut themselves off from 
having an open mind and they think, oh, this is just one more person to tell me what to do. But I think that it, it is it will be the reason that maybe some people choose to do the right thing, to come to a crossroads in their life because, you know, for once they have more support in their corner. I think post-release is support to me. I always thought of them as a cushion, something to fall back on if things got really rough, but not people to judge me. You know, you always think people in authority are judging you, but that's not what this is about. This this whole program is about a second chance. We're joined by Rhonda Nygaard. Thanks again for coming in. So you have said several times that this is hard, and I had the opportunity to see you speak at a proclamation ceremony whereby you you told the crowd and anybody watching on TV that you must risk much to get much reward. And so it sounds to me like this was a risk because it was something that you hadn't experienced before. You went through a little bit of your program just kind of in some bullet points earlier, but can you just, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think that probation is the proverbial slap on the wrist and there's not much accountability there. But when you were going through some of that list of UAs and classes and expectations and this and this and this, I don't know that people really understand what goes into being on probation today. Could you maybe take us through that list just a little bit slower and just tell us everything that went into this year of post-release supervision that you that you got following your release from prison? Well, first of all, I had to be evaluated to see where, where were my strongest and weakest points. Second of all, I had to um, sign a plan that said, this is this is what I'm going to work on. Every week I had to be accountable for setting a date to where that would be done. Um, I had to follow through. Um, I had to, yes, there's a lot of responsibilities. I had to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and call in before 8 and go take my UA. Um, and that meant Sundays and holidays too. Um, I had to mostly see Tony at least once a week. Um, I had to, I had to work, let's see, you know, I had to pay probationary fees, all of that had to be done before I could ever be let, let off, and so there was a lot of accountability, I mean, there's a lot of accountability when it comes to probation, this isn't a free ride, this, this isn't a slap on the wrist, because the people who think that end up in a whole lot more worse predicament than they were in, because they think it's a joke, this is no joke. This this is hard, but it's hard for a reason. It's trying to make a better person out of you, you know? And so I believe that because of all the things I had to be accountable for, it made me easier to be accountable when I was done with post-release. Well, I need to keep doing this because this is what I did and this is what has worked for me, like meetings and class. I still take a class, you know what I mean? And so... It is hard work, but it's worth it because you make it makes a difference in you. So what what kind of classes did they plug you into? Um, let's see. I had anger management. Um, I had a victim impact class that was awesome. Um, I had, let me see, um, what else? What else did he have? Well, MRT, of course, um, re- relapse class just to see what my triggers might be if I did. Um, 
I had to uh, do things like um, get my license reinstated, to just do the things like that that I told him were important to me on my case plan. So I had like four or five classes, a colors class, um, and then what was, was that other one? Um, money management, because I'm not good with money. So I took all them classes. So, Rhonda, did you feel like they were just having you do things to do things, or were those, you talked earlier about you had to go through an assessment whereby they were determining things that you needed? Did you feel like those things, like you talked about, I'm not very good with money, so I needed to do this? And a couple of the other classes you talked about, MRT is moral recognition therapy, which is, it isn't really therapy as much as it's what they call a cognitive program, where it helps you examine your thinking around things. Mm -hmm. The victim impact class that you were talking about, you know, a lot of people that have been involved in the use or sale of narcotics and controlled substances don't realize the impact that they have. You know, I'm using and I'm just hurting myself. They don't really understand that the impact that has on the families and the communities. And, and that's more what that victim impact class was, right? Right, it was. Um, did you have a favorite? I, w- I would have to say victim impact because until that time, because my, my crimes were theft and, and that kind of things. you're right. I thought it was only hurting myself. I never in a million years thought, well, what about the people's jobs you might you might have affected because, you, you know, you took from them so much and they had to get higher insurance. And what about the police officers that had to deal with you every time that you'd done that? What about your kids who were left alone when you were incarcerated? How about you know, your mother who you put through hell because of your addiction. I mean, that class made me, you know, just sit down and and just realize all the damage I've done, you know, and it helped me to see that I needed to apologize and I needed to be accountable to them people that I had hurt, if I could, if they were still here, God rest her soul, my mom isn't, but I mean, it, it it just opened and enlightened me that you know, you hurt people, and you, you you know, they didn't deserve that, and now you need to make up for that. And so the way for me to make up for that is to reach as many people like me as I can and to, to live a different life so that they see that they can live a different life. I mean, anything that you want is there. You just ask, just where do you ask for it from, so... So it sounds like you're describing probation kind of as a as a journey of self-discovery and opportunity rather than, um, or at least that's what you made it, rather than accountability and thou shalts and somebody else to, it's your opportunity to kind of make some discoveries and, and make some changes in your life. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. So... Um, what now? What now for Rhonda Nygaard? What are, you, what are you up to? Well, um, in August, I start school to be a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, I'm going to do a little deeper than that. I'm going to take the human relations course, and I'll have a degree in mental health practitioning. Because i got to say, I just want to touch base on the third of some bottom mental health people who are addicted. And their addiction has a different understanding than just anybody, you know, off, off the street because... They have some mental and chemical stuff going on, and a lot of them aren't understood. And they don't get the help they need because people don't know how to reach out to them. So I had a, a, a schizophrenic friend, and I get it. And I, he was addicted too, and I get it. And so I want to know that, you know, we, 
we can reach out to them and they can be reachable too. It just will take a different approach, you know, so. Yeah, that's fantastic. So if I remember right, you said something too about kind of like probation met you at the door. In other words, you didn't walk out of your term of incarceration alone. You knew you had what what ended up being friends there to meet you at the door, even though you didn't know it at the time that right. uh, <laughs> these, these people were going to plug you into all these things. But it was something, this whole process began while you were still incarcerated, right? Right. Okay. Right. Um, well, and so back in school, uh, you talked earlier about you didn't even have your GED the first time you thought about going to school. So it sounds like you've made a lot of fantastic changes. Uh, my understanding is, is that you actually, even though you don't have to, you continue your involvement at the local probation office. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I continue to call, check on um, people that, that, you know, fellow students that I've been in class with. Um, I always, always say, you know, uh, how are you doing? Can you tell this person I was thinking about them? Can you give them my phone number, tell them I'm here to talk anytime they need, tell them I'm sorry that they're struggling? I mean, I just I just tell, think that they were a lifeline for me, and I truly respect everything that they did for me and that they have so much confidence in me. And so, you know, they have become my friends. Maybe that's why I keep in touch with them, because I, I feel like reaching out to them is another way that I stay right and I stay clean, and they're not there to slap my hand, but they are there when I'm struggling, and they, and I know this, and to have that, you know, and to know that that's there for you, it's just remarkable, you know what I mean? I just never felt like that before, so I, I believe they are my friends forever. That that is that is wonderful, and I think that's exactly that would be music to most probation officers' ears because there's a lot of times that you don't really feel that in doing what they do. So I thank you so much for your time today. Before we officially sign off, I would just offer you the floor just to if there's somebody out there that's thinking about man, I just don't know about this whole probation stuff. I think I'd rather go to prison and just take my three hots and a cots or. You know, I'm just going to fake my way through this. Um, what words of wisdom would you have for that person sitting out there thinking about whether or not they want to actually use this opportunity? I would tell them that, that listen, opportunity doesn't knock all the time. This is opportunity. This this is a chance. And that's what I think that, that we all, you know, are striving for is that second chance. And I want to let you know there is a second chance. And I want to I let you know that there are people that are willing to help you, to guide you, to be there when you fall, to, to at your worst and best moments, to let you know that you're important and that you matter and, and, and that your life is just, just as important as the next person's. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in trouble or how long you've been addicted. It matters what you do from today and the rest of your life. And today, believe this. You make a difference. You know, that's what I would tell them. You must risk a lot to get a lot. To get a lot. Ron and Nygaard, thank you so much for joining us. It's you're been, welcome. It's been great. All right. You're welcome. Thank Good you luck for to having you. me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We've been talking with Ron and Nygaard, a testament to the power of probation. <laughs>